Hey, I have a disclaimer before we get started. I realized, I know all you state fans think everybody's wearing green because they're rooting for your team, but not everybody wearing green, I've been told. So I just thought I'd put that out there to kind of set the tone for uh, half the room is really not receptive to what I'm about to say. Anyway, it won't have anything to do with that. You know what, honey? Yes. You need to, you need to own the fact that you, one of your children got their master's from MSU. Yes, and she never talks about she got her undergraduate, or not, she got a lot of her undergrad. Didn't actually finish there, finished somewhere else, but she did go to U of M. That's like the, the dark years for her. I, I get that. And so let that be a lesson, right? Anyway, who, and who's name. like me and you could care less because I could... Thank it's you. just fun. It's I just, just want to know the people I, who could care less. I uh, I hope it's a, a great game. Well, no, I we're not I, talking no, about this those. Is, no, it's, it's pretty it's, sure because it could get ugly in here. It could get really ugly. It might get. It might be a bad third game too. Shh. And I, that's that's okay. Don't. But I believe in the resurrection. Anyway, hopefully you all do too. <laughs> So uh, we started a, a new series into Lent, and, and we're having uh, some great conversations around this, 40 Days, Nine Ways to Pray. And today we want to talk to you about Feast or Fast. So Let's say uh, that. That sounds fun. Feast or Fast. Feast or Fast. So just so you know, Sundays, you, you're not supposed to fast on Sundays. This is the feasting day. So whatever you're going to do today, eat a lot, enjoy a lot, right, and then yes. get back at it. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because some of us, our background is purely not like church calendar kind of. So even the concept of Lent uh, is kind of new to us, uh, apparently. Or so your maybe. family didn't practice? The Lowridges didn't practice? Right, we knew it was out there. We might have practiced Fat Tuesday. We probably did that, mm-hmm. um, which is the day before, you know, Poonchki Day. That's the day before Lent starts, so everybody goes out and eats like mad and does everything. Gets a little crazy down in New Orleans because they're, they're about to fast. God's really pleased with that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, so there's there's those of us that are there, and then there's those of us that really embrace the church calendar. And I think that there's uh, there's a goodness in paying attention to both, uh, because as Christ followers, for instance, we're called really to live a fasted life. Mm-hmm. We're not just called to live uh, during forty days, but uh, during Lent, a fasted life. But we're called to live a fasted life. That's really what Jesus called us to, invited us to, is to live a life that pays attention to how we're living all the time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the beauty of Lent, the beauty of things like the church calendar is it brings attention to things that we tend to not pay attention to, which is not good either, right? So the fact that we move into this 40-day period leading up to the resurrection is good. It's important, and it reignites this thought in us that we head into 40 days of fasting. So that's where we, we want to be the kind of people that embrace the whole nine yards of this, right? Now, fasting, when, when we talk about fasting, understand that every major religion fasts. That fasting is a practice that's taught in every major world religion. However, Christianity is unique. The way that Jesus communicated and the scripture communicates fasting is different. So other religions, the, when, when it comes to fasting, it's all about pleasing who they believe is the deity, whatever that looks like. It's about obedience. It's about 
Um, so the motivation is really obligation right. when it comes to other world religions. Just obligation. Mm-hmm. You do it because you're obligated. You do it because you're trying to, to please the deity. Or whereas, that God is punitive. Like if I don't do something to deprive myself then I'll have to pay. Exactly. So I have to do something to pay dues. Exactly. And even in the Old Testament, you can get the sense of that. But Jesus cleared this up really well. And uh, when it comes to uh, Christianity and the invitation to fasting, it's really relationally based. It's about longing. It's about intimacy. It's about having a desire for God. So it's not about I, I fast just out of obligation. I fast because I want relationally to get closer to God. That's why I do it. That's what Jesus talked about. That's what the epistles, when they refer to fasting, the New Testament, that's what it talks about. Um, and I would contend that the Old Testament also confirms that, but we just didn't get it till Jesus came along and really started to in, inform us. Now, it would be like this. So Claire and I, um, when we were married 25 years, for instance, um, imagine, because on our 25th anniversary, we took a trip to Italy. That was our 25th anniversary gift to one another. But could you imagine if I came to Claire, 25th anniversary, and said, listen, I would love to take you to Italy for our 25th anniversary because I feel obligated. Wouldn't that feel great for Claire? Wouldn't she love that? I just feel obligated to do something because this is a big year. Pretty sure you would have been taking a solo flight. Exactly. (laughs) So the feel is different, right? It's just a lot different. So fasting in the same way, what it does is it, it kind of takes us like that kind of intentional anniversary trip. It takes us... Claire and I went to a different environment, all right? You get away from, you, you get away from the regular rhythm of how you're living your life. We got away from that. We got alone by ourselves so we weren't pulled by all of these other things and we could pay attention to one another in our relationship. And we had to fast a lot of other things because we were saving money. Mm-hmm. And then we actually, we don't recommend this and don't tell Dave Ramsey, but we took out a small loan that we felt like was um, better a better payment than a new car. Mm-hmm. And we felt like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to pay this up because we want to celebrate this gift, and it's going to require some fasting. Like, I, you, you couldn't do some things as you were getting ready to say no. When we hit that 25 mark, nope, we're just saying no to that right now, you know. And um, so it requires intention right. to enjoy something good, but... Intention doesn't mean that you're obligated. Can you all say that intention Intention doesn't mean that you're obligated? Doesn't mean that you're obligated. So a lot of times people will say, well, I don't do that Lent thing because that's all about obligation. Well, just because you're doing something intentionally doesn't mean you're obligated. It means, you know what, I want to practice something that opens me up to something good that God has for me. Exactly. All right, so we want to talk, Just you might want to jot these down because we may revisit these over the next few weeks, but the role of fasting in the life of a Christ follower. What role does it have? Now, this is not an exhausted list, but these are just a a few quick thoughts for you, okay? Um, Are you going to skip the scripture? No. No, oh, but, but I did kind of, didn't I? Let's yes, go to did. that. Let's okay. go to what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus said. Jesus had a lot to say, actually, about fasting. But here's one of the things that he says in uh, Matthew six sixteen. He says, and when you fast, do not look miserable as the actors and hypocrites do when they're fasting. They walk around town putting on airs about their suffering and weakness, complaining about how hungry they are, so everyone will know they are fasting. They don't wash or anoint themselves with oil. 
they don't pink their cheeks. I don't do that anyway. But anyway, <laughs> or wear comfortable shoes. Those who show off their piety, they have already received their reward. When you fast, wash your face, beautify yourself with oil, so no one who looks at you will know about your discipline. Only your Father who is unseen will see your fast, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So when Jesus talks about fasting, it is really, and and of course, a lot of times, like in this context here, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is confronting religiosity. Mm -hmm. He's confronting that sense that most of uh, the the world that has uh, this obligation to fast in their religious practice, Jesus is trying to cut that off in his relationship with us. Mm -hmm. This is not about a religious practice. This is about a relationship with your God. Okay. Now one person puts it this way. They say the absence of our fasting is a measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. It's just a powerful, powerful thought there. So anyway, we fast as Christ followers for a few reasons. Again, this is not a complete list, but this is a good start. Uh, We fast to break our enslavement, to break our enslavement to anything. Uh, We have addictions, and fasting is a way to begin to break that enslavement. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He says, all things are lawful for me. So in other words, everything, like when it comes to fasting, it's like when, if you give up food, it's not food is unlawful. And Paul's actually talking in this context about food. It's one of the things he's talking about intimacy and some other things, but he's talking about food primarily. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's a good word. Now, in the original language, that word dominated literally is the word enslaved. I will not be enslaved by anything. So what fasting does in our life is it begins to break things, even good things, Mm -hmm. that we can begin to get addicted to or enslaved by. You know, and if we pay attention. I love what Tozer says. Tozer puts it this way. He says, I fast often enough to... Uh, to let my stomach remember who is the boss. Isn't that great? <laughs> that For good. some of us, we need to fast often enough to let our wallet know who's the boss, or perhaps our phone know who's the boss, mm-hmm. our watch know who's the boss, where we send our energy and our attention. We want to tell ourself in the soul realm who's the boss, right? Who is the boss? The boss is Jesus, but this is one of those places that gives us this gives us this opportunity to have control over our relationship with Christ. I am not going to let my life just kind of spiral out of control, right, and just kind of happen to me. I want to be uh, taking captive thoughts to the obedience of Christ so I'm before Christ in my relationship with building. Secondly, we fast to affirm this is a Willard word. I love this. To affirm the substantiality. Substantiality. You messed me up. I had it. <laughs> substantiality. Substantiality uh-huh. of God's word to us. What does it mean? Substantiality. So it just simply means to affirm how important God's word is to us. You know, we live in a world that, that the 
importance of God's word in our life is under deep attack all the time, right? It just is. And I get some of it. I get some of it. I get that uh, the word has been abused, actually, even by Christ followers at times, used improperly to hurt people. So there's a great pushback. However, it's important when we fast to pay close attention to and affirm how important, how substantive, mm-hmm. how important the Word of God is in our life. Fasting brings us back to that place. Jesus put it this way. Jacques talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he says, man shall not live. You can say it with me if you know it. Man shall not live on bread alone, alone but, but by, by every, every word, word that, that proceeds out of God's mouth, God. right? So there is this, Jesus himself says that there is, this, there is this place that goes beyond what bread, he literally uses bread, uh, and the importance of paying attention to simply God's word being a sustaining piece of our life, how important that is. This, this manifests in the written word, obviously. That's reference. It's, it manifests in the spoken word. It manifests in the visual or displayed word of God. Do you know when you're out in creation, it is the displayed visual word of God. Mm-hmm. And to affirm the fact that that can sustain you. There are moments in your life and mine where we have literally been maybe at a beach or at a mountain, the Grand Canyon or something, and there is this sustaining impartation of God's word through creation. Mm -hmm. It's powerful, powerful stuff. God's manifest word, things like words of knowledge, the incarnate word, I could go on. And then uh, the next one is we fast to show longing for the not yet kingdom. Mm-hmm. Fasting puts me and you in a position of longing and understanding we long for a not yet kingdom. Again, scripture says this in Matthew 9. It says, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we, and this is a great relationship scripture, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. So he's talking about himself and the church. Can they? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast because they will be longing to be back. We will be longing to be back, not just to get to heaven, longing for God in the present. Mm -hmm. I am longing. You are longing for God's kingdom to show up in the present. Come, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, is what the scripture says. Longing for things like salvation. When we long for salvation, when we fast, it creates a longing in us for God's kingdom to appear in our life and in the lives of other people around us. It's about longing. Jesus was saying, when you fast, it creates a desire in you that is good and healthy for the things of the kingdom. And lastly, we fast to... Lastly, we fast to get the creatures that lie, we, lie within. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this. This should be good. Let's see what happens. <laughs> anyway, 1 Peter 2.11 says this. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Can we all read that together? Come on. Beloved, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul. So when we fast, there are underrumblings that we generally do not pay attention to, but they seem to show up when you 
fast. When you intentionally put certain desires aside, certain things come to the top, right? Uh, There's the example of the silversmith that uh, in order to purify silver, they'll heat it up and they get what's called dross on the top and they skim that dross off and it makes the quality of the silver or gold, whatever the precious metal is, become more and more refined, right? We get refined. So when we fast, the things that lie within us begin to come out. You remember Job, for instance. Job goes through this horrible time in his life. The beginning of Job, the scripture says that God says, hey, tells, that, tells the devil, you can test Job. He's a righteous person. And then Job goes through a bunch of horrific stuff. He actually fast, not even by intention. It just happens in his life. And in that process, even though the scripture says that Job is a faithful servant of God, there are things that happen in the process that near the end of the book of Job, Job ends up repenting for because the creatures start to come out, right? And you are intentionally paying attention to the things in your life. When you start to fast, anger might start to show up. Envy, unforgiveness, lust, fantasy, greed, consumerism, power and control, insensitivity, things like that start to come out. So it's in that that we can give attention. Now, if we're just going about our regular life, sometimes we're not seeing. We may want to change, but if there's no intentionality around our life, we may not see it. Mm-hmm. And even last week when I said that uh, you, you fast, it seems more easily than I do, that I get hangry. So how many of you have trouble fasting food? Just let's, be, let's make me feel better about myself. Okay, thanks. So here's the reality, though. Um, that's not an excuse for me not to fast. Because something that happens is when I actually practice something that's all throughout the Scripture, I get to pay attention to what's here when I'm vulnerable. You know, so if you read, if you go through the scriptures and read about fasting, you're going to find that it is a practice that we're encouraged to participate in because something happens in us when we start to fast. Now, if you have a physical condition, you have to talk to your doctor. In fact, uh, when Scott, you know, turned 50 or something like that, it's five, I don't know, you're not 60 yet, but anyway. No, that's really far off. I know, but I remember I said, you have to ask your doctor if you're still allowed to fast like you did when you were in your 20s and your 30s because I'm thinking, you know, there's things, there's different practices at different times of life. Amen, everybody, right? So, um, so I asked him and unfortunately the doctor said it was fine and I don't agree with that doctor. He needs a new one, by the way, but... Um, <laughs> Um, But these extended fasts, you really need to get permission from a doctor. You don't need permission from a doctor to skip lunch and pray. Amen? I bet you don't even need, unless you're diabetic, you don't need permission to skip sundown to sundown and fast with us as a church when we're fasting from, from Wednesday after dinner until Thursday dinner. If that is a challenge for you, find something that you're fasting with us. If you can't fast food, find something that you can fast with us. Because can you imagine a church that's actually praying together in a 24-hour period? What might happen for us? How we might open up to the grace of God. So Wednesday night sundown to Thursday night sundown. So just, you know, notice. Like if you always, you know, if you always eat ho-hos for breakfast, maybe you could, you know... 
maybe you could let that go for a 24-hour period. I don't know. It's between you and God. There are very particular ways to pray, but we know if we're paying attention what we're addicted to. Amen? Look at the scripture. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand for it. This is out of the book of Luke. This is the gospel reading passage because I am that person that likes to follow the calendar. And the reason I do is I love feeling the solidarity with Christian brothers and sisters all over the globe and think, oh my gosh, we're all reading the same passages. What if we all obeyed the same thing at the same time? What could happen to the world, right? So it's just a thing for me. Nobody else has to do it if they don't want to, but it's a practice for me that is really a blessing. So today's scripture... Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Everybody say pray. Pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure which was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just take a little note there. Like, these guys were tired, right? And I don't know if you remember, they also got talked to in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, could you guys stay awake one hour and pray with me? Could I get one hour out of you? One hour, right? I just hear Jesus inviting me sometimes. Hey, Claire, can I get one hour? Hmm. Right? But these guys, they stayed awake on this day. Master, it is good for us to be here, said Peter to Jesus. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, which was typical of Peter. He really typically didn't know what he said. In fact, I think Peter was a verbal processor. Anybody a verbal processor in the room? Like you say things out loud and then you tell everybody, don't listen to what I just said, I have to verbally process. And, and, you know, and others of you, you write and process. And as we said last week, you don't know what you think till you see what you say. And others of us, we don't know what we think until we hear what we say. So you've got to have some pretty safe people, like your therapist, your spiritual director, your close spiritual friend, um, that can actually listen to you and not judge you, but help you hear what you're saying. Because Peter, that's what he had in Jesus. He was always saying stuff out loud, like, oh, let's, let's, build, let's build altars up here. Like Jesus wanted to hang out on a mountain, having an altar built to him, some kind of dwelling. He didn't know what he was saying. Can you all say that? Not know what he said. And and other versions says Peter didn't know what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, can we say this together? This This is is my my son, son, my my chosen. chosen. Listen Listen to him. him. So let's just take a moment. God, help us to remember the last time we listened. And help us locate our longing to listen today. Not so much talking in our prayers, but listening. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So when you think of 
Elijah. What was Elijah in the scripture? Anybody want to shout it out? Elijah was a prophet. So Elijah was, uh, he was actually standing there on that mountain significantly as a prophet. And Moses, what did he write down with his hand? By God's direction, right? And so that was the law. So you've got the law and the prophets on this Mount of Transfiguration from Jesus. Think about this for a minute. So here's Jesus, the incarnation of God on earth. And who shows up? A prophet and the law. The law and the prophets now are here with Jesus. And Peter can't be quiet. Peter wants to do something. How many doers? You don't have to raise your hand. How many doers in the room? Um, I'll, I'll never forget one time I was leading worship. It was a you know, conference with our churches around the globe. And I was leading worship. And in the middle of this moment, like nobody could speak. Nobody could speak. It was one of those moments where everybody was just like. And then this dear person. Come on, get the band going. Because they, they were so unnerved by the silence mm-hmm. and the listening. And, and I know God just smiled at him like, Peter, you don't know what you're doing. You, you, because the presence of God is so palpable, you feel like you got to do something, build something, say something, get something, right? Right, right? But I love, you know, if you, if you ever look at the scriptures, it says that when the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And together, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Moses is a sign of the law. Elijah is the sign of the prophets. And Jesus is the sign of the new way. To live by heart. To live by heart. And what we know is that we call this the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you guys know that that same word is transformation? And all of us need to be transformed. Yes. Every person in this room, there's a place where you don't look like Jesus that needs to be transformed. Me too. There's a place of your suffering. And it needs to be transformed. Me too. And so there are people, you know, when we say transformation, we say, listen, yeah, it is the grace of God, but it also takes your attention and intention. So I'm going to ask you a question. When you walked in this morning and you looked around church, what was the first thing you saw? What was the first thing you saw when you walked in? Some people would say, I saw people and the people I wanted to connect with. Anybody in that camp? I saw the people I wanted to connect with, or how, yeah, how could I connect to them? Some people would say, where am I? Where should I sit? Can I sit by the exit? Just in case, right? I wonder, where are the exits, right? Well, where am I? Anybody? Where am I? Come on, I know you're in here. Thank you. And then we have the people that walk in and they say, you know, how am I? How am I with that music? Why is that music up that loud? Why are they going quiet now? Why are we going over here? How am I? How am I with the way they take communion? Are they doing it right? How am I? How am I now? How am I now? And so I just would say there's, there's people in the room like that. We would call you gut people. Can you all say gut people? Gut people. Yeah, you had gut people. Right? We have heart people. They want to know who they're going to connect with. Those, those are heart people. Right? Then we have head people. They want to know where everything is and where they are. 
We call those head people. And what we realize is that there are people that are gut people that some of us react instinctively, and we know in our gut and our bones whether we like something. Trusting our gut more than anything or anyone else makes it easy to jump in or act out or pull out without giving it a second thought. To the, in the heat of things, we dismiss our head and our heart. Gut people, okay? So... And we have these heart people. Some of us have heart connections. Uh, one thing, you know, it's above everything else. We rely on feelings and concerns for others to guide us. And when connection is broken, we work like mad to regain affection and approval. And we dismiss gut reactions as not me and distrust those who live in their heads. That could be you. Then we have head people. The head triad, these people, they struggle with varieties of fears. When under stress, fears become the dominant fixation. So to feel safe, they overdo protective strategies, escapes, and beliefs. This overthinking, overplanning, withdrawing from pain, and gathering of data can sabotage action and decision-making. And so one of the things that we're going to do in our, um, our notes online, for those of you who want to continue, you're actually going to see ways to pray, ways to fast, and ways to practice. You're going to see if you're this, this kind of, uh, you know, person that needs to, uh, to be connected, you're going to find ways to pray, ways to fast, and ways to practice. And you're going to find out ways to practice and pray and fast if you're a gut person. But... We're not going to go through all that right now. What we're going to say is no one-size-fits-all spirituality. Just It just doesn't. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you want to pray when you come into church on a Sunday morning. Do that. If you're a person that needs to kneel, kneel down. If you're a person that wants to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you're a person that needs to be quiet and sit in the back row and come two minutes late and leave two minutes early, do that. Because what we want to say is there is no one-size-all-fits-all, you know, uh, for prayer. And there is no one-size-fits-all fasting. And there is no one-size-fits-all practice. And what I've found is the reason people are not intimate with God is because they're trying to live like other people. That's good. They're trying to practice like those people. And then you know what happens? We get into little clusters. Like there's the cluster of all the contemplative people that don't talk during church and don't clap and don't have a bass guitar. And they all go to church together because it's comfortable. Then we have all the crazy types. They want the bass pumping. They want it over 100 decibels. Uh, Yeah, I know who you are, (laughs) right? And they all go to church together, but the people who are contemplative could never go there because they just want to die for 45 minutes. So, and then there are the people that, you know what, they really want to connect with people. It's all about that for them. They come into church, and if they haven't prayed for five people before they leave the room, they feel like they have not been in church. And there's other people that they're like, if those people come over here and pray for me again, I am never coming back here. (laughs) But here's the reality. You have a head, you have a heart, you have a gut, and there is an invitation to open up space, to enjoy more of who you are. Because if you're stuck in your fear, if you're stuck in your anger, or if you're stuck in distress because of loss of connection, you're not going to get to experience all God has for you. So I'm just going to give you this one last little story, and then we're going to invite you to go ahead and look online for for these PowerPoint slides if you are so inclined, because we don't want to lay anything ill-fitting on you. But here's what happened to me this week. Um, after the release of our book, 
We had a Pharisee who posted online about why um, our book is not good and actually listed that this book has to do with the occult. So just so you know, it does not. Um, but there was a Pharisee who felt the need to let everybody know, like has mutual friends, because they're afraid and they wanted to help their friends. I, I don't think they have evil intention. Okay, then we had an atheist post online about us this week and say, I am so sick of these Christians <laughs> utilizing this body of knowledge and trying to make it Christian. And so guess what I got to fast this week? Approval and affection. Because you are going to have something to fast if you're paying attention. Yes. So for me, I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to erect altars. I don't have to try to convince people. I have to belong to myself and belong to God. That's good. When I belong to myself, I can belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I can belong even in a, um, in a situation where people say things that, that are untrue or unkind. So one of our friends who's a, an author said to me, knowing that I have issues with approval and affection, she said, um, Claire, I'm, I'm inviting you to practice the spiritual, tr- spiritual practice of not reading your reviews. Isn't that good? Do you know how freeing that is? I mean, some people are letting me know what some of those reviews are, and that is A-OK, but I'm not looking for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? To find out. Because what I want to do is, if I connect with God as my true self, I'll be able to connect with people who want to connect with me as my true self. That they're not going to try to make me who they're comfortable being with. But they say, you know, I want to be with you as you. Like, I want you to be still in worship if that's who you are. I want you to shout in worship if that's who you are. I don't want to get in little clusters because do you know what that's called? That's called a cult. When we only want to be with people who think like us, dress like us, act like us, right? We should disagree with each other and be with each other in the same room. We should get to have really good conversations. Amen? Yes. One of the things I love that Seth does with his siblings is they get online and they have debates, the four of them. You know, they get good rousing discussions, right? And you guys all love each other. I, don't you think that would be fabulous if we could, as the family of God, have conversations about what we disagree about without shaming one another mm-hmm. or telling one another you're bad or you're wrong or you shouldn't or you oughtn't, right? So here's what I want to say. You are made in God's image and likeness very individually, and you are made to pray like you. Mm-hmm. And when you discover what it is that you're addicted to, for me, approval right? That from a little kid being the youngest of six, like all the older siblings had to say, good job, Claire, or I didn't know if I was okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to say to you, what is it in your life that you show up and you have to say, you know what? I need to fast security and survival. I'm trying to make sure that I have all my ducks in a row and I am so afraid that I'm greedy. I don't, I don't share. I don't share because I'm worried I'm not going to have enough. If I give that away, then I'm not going to have enough. Some of you need to fast greed for 40 days, right? Some of you, you need to fast anger. It's like, well, I, I am the police of social media, and I need to get on and tell everybody why they should or shouldn't vote for that candidate or should or shouldn't believe that thing, right? Fast anger for 40 days and see what might happen. Just let it go. 
Let go of power and control. See if you could fast power and control. And you know what? If you're paying attention, can I tell you something? It'll show up just like it did for me, right? It'll show up for you. See if you can fast approval and affection, power and control, security and survival. See if you could let go of shame or anger or fear. Just which one of those words is highlighted for you when I say it? Shame, anger, fear. Yeah. Which one are you addicted to? Right? Power, greed, approval. And then you know what happens? God will make space for you to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to follow that thread anymore on Twitter because it makes me afraid or angry or ashamed. Let's stand together. That's good. I am so glad that we can fast. And so would all of us just get honest to God for a minute? I don't know how you do it. Lift your hands. Maybe some of you need to fast keeping your hands folded for Lent and lift them. Maybe some of you need to bring the energy down inside, pay attention internally, and lay your hand on your heart. And stop being all out here with people. So just lay your hand on your own heart. And get honest to God. Maybe some of us need to quit fleeing and running away when we start to get honest with God. That food or drink or power, approval or security is an addiction. And God, if we could practice, I wonder what you could do in our lives. We all need you. We need you so much. Every one of us here needs you. All of the people that you've connected us with need you. People who say good things about us, people who say bad things about us, we all need you. And so, God, will you begin to highlight what you want us to fast this week? And if we're not sure, maybe we could just start with a meal and listen. And if you know already, could you just hold that up in God's loving presence and say, God, I want to fast this. Would you help me? This week, I want to fast. Looking at that, saying that, eating that, going there. Believing that. Because we know, God, there's something really good you have for us. Yes. We want to pray for everyone all over this room. Because prayer is how we fight our battles. We want to let go of anything that keeps us from you because this is how we fight our battles. Praying for my friends, God, that we wouldn't be afraid and cling to things that are not giving us life. Don't get distracted now. Stay honest with God. 
because God, you're leading us to freedom. You're leading us to resurrection. Like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my Bless our friends in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And pray this would be a week of becoming ourselves. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Remember you loved.